0: What's up, Cyber and Crypto Posse? Hope everybody's doing good this week. Today is Thursday, August the 29th of 2019. And this is episode number 84 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. You want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. So check me out on there as well. All right, I'm doing another podcast today because we got some pretty crazy topics that have come up just in the last few days here. So on the cybersecurity side of things, we're going to talk about the TSA and what they're doing now with facial recognition. Sticking with the privacy theme, we're also going to talk about Windows 10 and some of their privacy issues. And more privacy stuff, we're going to talk about uh, Amazon's Ring The doorbell. Also, going to talk about some crypto mining worms that have been floating around. And one more thing about Microsoft, too. They're they're making a pretty bold claim about their multi factors, so we'll talk about that as well. And then we're also going to talk about the cybersecurity company called Imperva and what happened with their data breach thing. And last but not least, in cybersecurity, we're going to talk about an Android app that had some malware in it. On the cryptocurrency side of things, we're going to talk about Facebook Libra. And some of the updates coming along there we're also going to talk about telegram and what they're doing with cryptocurrency and some other stuff about bittorrent and what they're going to start doing with blockchain and then of course we'll talk about the cryptocurrency prices How things are going there. And then, for side topic today, I'm going to talk a little bit about certifications, cybersecurity certifications. Which ones do you get? If you're just trying to break into the industry, what do you get first? So, we'll talk about all that good stuff. All right, so let's get started with a lot of these privacy related items here. So, whether you know it or not, the TSA is starting to use facial recognition at their, the airport in Las Vegas. So I haven't heard any kind of public announcements that this stuff is, is being done until I just read this article about it on Gizmodo. So my big question is, is there a way to opt out of this? Or is this something that you can't opt out of? And if you can't, that's going to bring up a whole bunch of other issues and... I suspect, though, if they're doing this in Vegas, they're going to start doing it everywhere if they can. So the article does say that you are allowed to opt out. But what they're basically saying is that the TSA is really trying to move towards biometric authentication to verify who you are before letting you on a plane. And they were trying to do this with the facial recognition stuff. So you can apparently opt out. So that's something you might want to look into if you're interested in that. TSA also claims that all of the facial recognition data will be deleted in 180 days. So whether or not you believe that or not, I don't know. <laughs> Certainly interesting to see that though on the privacy side of things. I'm curious to know what other people think about that. I personally don't like it. I think it's a pretty big invasion of privacy. And Several episodes ago, I talked about these glasses that actually make the facial recognition technology useless. These glasses interfere with it, and uh, so that's something that's probably going to become more and more prevalent as well. But are you in favor of facial recognition tech at the airport? Because get ready, if they do it there, they're going to start doing it everywhere, your local McDonald's start doing it so that they know when you walk in what your order is. Your Starbucks, they'll start doing it. So when you drive up or walk in, they'll know exactly who you are and they'll already know what your order is. And they'll stuff it in your face and send you out the door quicker. So that's what they're trying to get to. But the biggest thing to to think about with all this, yeah, that's super convenient and great. Probably makes things faster. But... What about the privacy ramifications of storing all this facial data about millions of people, potentially? And how are they storing it? Is it secured? There's so many things to think about. So there's a lot of privacy issues still going on in the world. Uh, Microsoft Windows 10 also has some privacy woes. The Dutch authorities are apparently apparently going after uh, Microsoft, specifically for Windows 10, and talking about the a lot of the privacy issues that Windows 10 has. So the Dutch are basically saying that Microsoft is still in breach of the EU privacy rules. So this also falls into GDPR kind of stuff as well, I presume. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Microsoft can afford it, right? They're, they're uh, just going to spill over, you know, a billion bucks. Here you go. See you later. Thanks. No big deal. But the fact that Microsoft is doing it and pretty much all of them are doing it now. So we have confirmation on all these companies that have privacy issues. So privacy is going to be one of the biggest hot topics, I think, for quite a while because very few people think about it. But when they do start thinking about it, they think, oh, my gosh, this is really serious. We're getting better about it. More and more people are starting to, to get into it and, and care about it. But the average person doesn't give a crap, right? So but there's more confirmation that Microsoft Windows specifically Windows 10, is also capturing a bunch of data on you, whether you like it or not. All right, some other news here about Ring, the video doorbell, if you've heard of them. Amazon purchased them fairly recently. They're now an Amazon company. As we've discussed on previous podcasts, we know that Amazon is also one of those companies that has those privacy issues. Well, guess what? Amazon and Ring, 400 partnerships with police departments, across the US. Now they basically doubled what was previously reported. Uh, apparently there was only 200 that was reported previously, but the Washington Post figured out that there's actually 400 of these police departments. So the big question here is what are they doing and why are these police departments need to get involved? How much can the police do? Can the police just, you know, at at a whim they can go, "Hey, I want to look at this guy's video doorbell now." And they can just all of a sudden bust in and and they can watch your camera and watch all your recorded videos and stuff. I mean, there's some serious privacy concerns there with that. Uh, So if you use the the Ring doorbell, these are some big things you definitely want to start thinking about because privacy is going to become a big, huge issue with them as well. And we already know that, right? Amazon's been verified to be one of the companies that's That's uh, taking all your private personal data and chopping it up and selling it to give you advertisements, right? But this one's different. So they're, you know, they're partnering with law enforcement, which, you know, typically you'd think that's a good thing, right? Maybe it helps them catch the bad guys faster. Sure, I'm sure it does. However, it's still an invasion of privacy, right? What if I didn't want them just dialing into my ring doorbell and looking at every single recording. And then how do you know that the police are doing it uh, in a legitimate way? What if there's a crooked police officer that does it? And, I mean, who knows, right? The cop watches a package get delivered and then the cop comes and steals it. I mean, this is obviously a worst case scenario kind of thing, but there's lots of things to consider when you talk about being able to just use anybody's ring doorbell just because you need to for, a, for the police department. So anyway, if you use ring, you might want to keep this at the top of your radar. Certainly something that everybody should be asking about and getting more information about if you can. And sticking with the privacy theme, there's actually another great podcast out there. Uh, I'm going to advertise for him even though he doesn't know I'm advertising for him. But there's a podcast out there called The Privacy Security and OSINT show. So I highly recommend checking that out uh, if you're interested in the a lot of the privacy-related stuff. His podcast is very much focused on all the privacy-related things that are going on in the world, and he actually helps you uh, with tips and whatnot on how to remain anonymous. So he's got a very, very cool podcast. If you you know want to stay private and you're concerned about privacy, it's definitely a good one to listen to. It's Privacy, Security, and OSINT show so go check that out as well all right so here's some other news here about this kind of a crossover story some crypto mining worms that were out there french police just took down an 850,000 computer botnet and the worm is known as known as retidube and the threat basically can destroy itself if it needs to and then reinfect but 850,000 systems were on this botnet doing crypto mining for these folks. So pretty crazy stuff. They found where it was going and they shut it down and and all that good stuff. But certainly interesting stuff there. Some other news here about Microsoft. They basically say that multi-factor will prevent... 99.9% 99.9% of account hacks. Do you agree with that? I kind of agree with that. But there's a lot of what ifs, you know, a lot of caveats there. But yes, the majority of the time, multi-factor would stop account hacks or account compromises. That is certainly one of the biggest things that we see nowadays is the account compromises with all the password spraying and whatnot that goes on. So multi-factor is always, always, always A great thing to turn on for you and for your company as well. Also keep in mind, multi-factor is only as good as the end user. So there have been a lot of attacks, a lot of phishing attacks, very sophisticated ones at that that will prompt the user for their second factor while they're attempting to log in. So they'll set up a fake web page that lets them put in their credentials first. Then it prompts them for a two-factor. And they immediately then turn around and use that on the actual site that they're spoofing, like Gmail, for example. So there are attacks out there like that. So yes, multi-factor can block a whole bunch of it. But if there's a sophisticated enough phishing attack and you know the end user still falls for it, it's not going to be effective at all. So that's one thing that that article really doesn't talk about, but it's a pretty bold statement by Microsoft saying it's (laughs) 99.9%. All right, some other news here. The cybersecurity company called Imperva, they recently had a breach where some customer information was stolen, which includes email addresses, salted and hashed passwords, and API keys and SSL certificates. So the headlines on this made it seem really really horrible. Obviously it's bad, but Krebs and all those guys made the headlines seem like this was the worst thing ever. You know, getting salted passwords and and hashed passwords doesn't really do you anything. You still have to crack all that, and that may not be very easy to do depending on uh, the type of hashing algorithm and how much they salted it and all kinds of good stuff like that so just because they got the password hashes doesn't mean they can actually crack it too but aside from that yes they did get api keys they also got ssl certificates so that's certainly something to to worry about so if you use imperva they're already taking action on this and you know fixing all this stuff so and this only affected Their web application firewall product, nothing else. So, this is again where you know Krebs and everybody made it seem like it was the entire company and you know all these things, and then you come to find out it's only affecting their web application firewall product. So, not quite all their customers were affected by this, but certainly a few were, of course, but it could have been a lot worse. But this was a crazy sophisticated attack so these attackers got a hold of a session token somehow and they were able to access an internal api system and apparently that api is able to pull all kinds of customer information so this again goes back to the you know last episode when i talked about securing those api's Boom, here you go. Here's another reason to secure your APIs. Only allow communication from trusted IP addresses. Period, end of story. Only allow communications from devices with your certificate, not just a session token. So there's a lot of ways that you can help mitigate some of this, You know, depending on the technology, of course. Uh, some you know APIs may not have all this capability. Hopefully, the majority of them do, and you can implement some of these controls, put in an IP whitelist, make it use certificate-based authentication, all that kind of good stuff. And then, last but not least, make sure that you're logging everything that's happening on those APIs. Because if something like this happens and you aren't logging anything you won't know exactly what was stolen and you won't know pretty much anything you may not even know that it's happening if you're not logging all the details from your various apis so make sure you're sending that api information to your sim let it do all that correlation and good stuff for you all right some other cybersecurity stuff here this one was getting a lot of headlines the android app called uh, cam scanner apparently Had a bunch of malware in it, and it's been downloaded over a million times from the Google Play Store. So, the research firm, I believe it was Kaspersky, that found this, they were able to tell that part of what this thing does is it downloads a Trojan, and that Trojan can be changed by the cam scanner people that were uh, deploying this software and they could change it up to blast you with advertisements and all kinds of other stuff so that was getting a lot of press mostly because it was downloaded so many dang times over a million times apparently but there was also some reports that people would be randomly signed up for services they didn't sign up for so this cam scanner app was was doing some crazy stuff there so you're either getting blasted with advertisements or you're getting signed up for stuff that you didn't actually sign up for. So if you use the Cam Scanner app, obviously you need to uninstall it. <laughs> Google did remove it from the Play Store, so it's no longer available. But since it's been downloaded so many times, it's bound to be out there on some devices still. So you got some old tablets and stuff laying around. Make sure you've uninstalled that app if you were using it. I personally have never used it, but apparently a lot of other people did. All right, so that's it for news-related stuff on the cybersecurity side of things. As for our side topic going to talk about security certifications and which ones you should get first if you're trying to break into cybersecurity and infosec which ones do you go after first all that kind of good stuff so i guess my my overall take on it is yeah you got to start somewhere so you know getting the base baseline certs are always good security plus just to kind of get going with it ideally though you really want to push yourself and you want to get the big search like a CISSP Uh, you want to go out and get a CEH if you can you want to really go out there and and push yourself to go get those big ones um, rather than just getting a security plus which you know security plus is good but when employers look at that they're thinking okay this guy is a level one InfoSec person whereas if they see a CISSP they'll think a lot differently of you also To in addition to just the certs, highly, highly, highly recommend having at least a bachelor's degree. Unfortunately, employers nowadays look for that quite a bit for InfoSec, especially any kind of higher level uh, jobs in InfoSec. They pretty much want you to have a bachelor's degree. I personally don't think that's fair, and I wish that wasn't true, but unfortunately it is. What's funny is I've met people in InfoSec that have like bachelor's degree in psychology or something, and and yet they're still in InfoSec. <laughs> so They want you to have the bachelor's degree just because you've got it, apparently. So I've seen that a lot recently, but it's certainly unfair, and I don't like it. But that's, if you have that... That's really going to put you a step ahead of everybody else that's applying for those jobs. But again, going back to the certs, if you're just starting out and you're just trying to learn some basics, yeah, go go ahead and get the Security Plus as you're learning, as you're starting your first job. Just absorb as much as you possibly can. Learn as much as you possibly can. The Security Plus is definitely a good starting point. But as soon as you've got some experience under your belt and you're understanding a lot of the terminology more and you're understanding, you know, as much as you possibly can, you really should strive to go for the big boy certs, like a CISSP. Uh, the other big ones out there too are the GIAC certs, G-I-A-C. Uh, they have like a, what they call it a G-PEN. It's sort of like a CEH but it's the GIAC version of it. So those are also really good ones to have as well. But kind of the gold standard right now is a CISSP. And then from there, it just kind of depends on what you want to specialize in. So if you're going to be doing ethical hacking, you probably want to get a GPIN and a CEH. Or if you're going to do forensics, then you want to do the uh, CHFI and another uh, GIAC forensics cert, for example. But if you're, if you're just starting out, just learning all the terminology, just getting into infosec and you're just trying to to learn as much as you can start with the security plus nail that and then once you've got that nailed get in get a job start working start understanding as much as you possibly can about infosec and just because you're working doesn't mean that you should go home and just not think about infosec anymore and this is i think where a lot of people i don't know i guess where a lot of people might fall short if you if you want to get ahead in life and in anything else, really, you don't stop. It's an ongoing thing. You're always trying to get ahead of the next person. It's a commitment, and you have to be bullheaded sometimes, and you have to just go, 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 and until you see the light at the end of the tunnel. So just because you get a job and you you know, you know work eight to five and you go home doesn't mean you should stop learning and stop thinking about cybersecurity and stop thinking about all the other things. When you get home, that's your opportunity to branch out and learn things that you're not learning. it. That's your opportunity to branch out and do things that you're not doing at work because you can set up your own little labs at home and you can pretty much do anything you want. Also too, when you, when you go and interview for a job, a lot of employers are going to ask you what you do in your free time. If you tell them that once you get off work, you don't want to look at another computer and you're just done, they may not take that very well. They may think that you know, that's that's not who we want. They want to know that you're passionate about what you're doing. And if you're not passionate about cybersecurity, you're definitely in the wrong place. Definitely. You got to be passionate about what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to hate your job for the rest of your life, and that's going to suck. Nobody wants to do that. Don't just get into something to make money. Get into it because you're passionate about it and you love doing it. Because without that, you probably won't be all that successful. But if you're truly passionate about it, and you can show that to the employers that are interviewing you, and they ask you, "What do you do in your spare time when you get home from work?" And you say, "Oh, I've got my own little uh, ethical hacking lab at home that I set up, and you know I do all these tests and I you know run these hacks and exploits at home and all that kind of stuff." If you if you start saying things like that, the employer is really going to take note because that shows them that you're really really trying to get somewhere, and you're really really trying to learn as much as you possibly can and be the best that. You you can be. So those are all things to keep in mind. Obviously, to get on the radar of some of these employers, you have to have those certs and it sucks. I mean, it really does. I don't think it's fair, but that's what they want. They want a bachelor's degree and bare minimum, a security plus. So if you can go get those two items, that'll certainly get you at least looked at a little bit more by employers. And then it's all about once you get in front of the employer, what how you present yourself to them. If you show them the passion that you have for cybersecurity, if you can show them how, how much you love it, how much you enjoy it, how much fun it is, they're really going to take note of that because, you know, a guy that comes in there and doesn't really care, like, yeah, I've done this, I've done that. Yeah. Oh, I don't really like that. They're not going to want to hire that guy. They're going to want to hire the person that's super passionate, that smiles, that loves what they're doing. So those are all things that you have to present uh, to that employer. And and make sure that they realize that you you do absolutely love cybersecurity and that's where you want to be long term i've hired some or not hired but interviewed some people in the past and they came in and just so unenthusiastic. And it was shocking because I'm sitting there thinking, why are you in this industry if you don't like it? You know, why are you doing this if you begrudge everything that you're doing? If you don't like the work itself, what are you doing? Why are you putting yourself through this? And that's certainly a, a big question to ask, you know, if somebody's... Not liking what they're doing, they're in the wrong place and they need to figure out something else. So, if you ever find yourself in that position where you are unenthusiastic about your job or your career, it's time to look yourself in the mirror and figure out what else you should be doing, figure out what you're actually passionate about, and then go switch and go do that. Because if you're not passionate about it, you're going to be miserable your whole life. I love my job, I have a lot of fun at work I mean, it is it is a blast and i think everybody that i that i work with knows how passionate i am too and that goes a long way too for your reputation with coworkers. if they see how passionate you are and how much you love it that's going to go a long way with everybody so don't just do it for yourself do it for your reputation do it for potential employer that's interviewing you. Make sure you show everybody how passionate you are because that's what will get you in the door and, and get you hired more than anything. Another cert I completely forgot to mention was the OSCP. It's created by Offensive Security. They are the ones that released Kali Linux. And I would say that if you're just breaking into pen testing, for example, or ethical hacking. Taking the OSCP is where you really really want to get to. They have a lot of practice labs and very very good stuff to to learn with, and that's very much a hands-on certification. It's not just answering questions on a test. So, I would say that you'd probably learn a lot more of the actual doing of the work. If you strive to take that test, the OSCP, it's a 24-hour hackathon, essentially. When you go and take the test, they give you access to an environment to play around in, and you get to see how many systems you can hack within that 24-hour period. So... Definitely a cool cert. Their their learning resources are great. Uh really teaches you a lot about how to actually hack. And I would highly recommend that if you're gonna get into the ethical hacking and pen testing. Uh if you're gonna get into more of, you know, blue team kind of stuff and you're playing defense, you know, the other, you know, question and answer kind of certs are, are really where you wanna be. Also too, there's there's a huge knowledge gap when it comes to folks coming right out of school that have studied information security for example when they get into the industry they understand information security but they don't understand IT and so there's there's a huge gap there and if you're going to be on the blue team you need to know how how IT works you need to know all the ins and outs of active directory for example you need to know a lot and so just because you graduate with a you know a bachelor's degree in cybersecurity doesn't mean that you should stop there uh, I would certainly push myself further and try to learn more about just IT in general, learn more about routers and switches and networking and Active Directory and servers and all that stuff. Don't just limit it to cybersecurity, because when you get a job and you're expected to secure something and you have to work with an infrastructure team, well, you're not going to be able to speak their language if you don't know all the IT terminology and you don't know exactly what works. So learning all the basic IT stuff as well is extremely important. I've worked with quite a few folks that have come right out of college into InfoSec And they get InfoSec totally, but there's just a huge gap. They don't get IT and they don't understand, you know, why they can't do something or, hey, why can't we secure it this way? Well, because it's not even feasible. You can't even really do it if you look at it. And that's the IT knowledge gap that I'm talking about. So... Anyway, I went off on kind of a tirade there, but, uh, OSCP for a hands on cert. If you want to do that for more of the red team kind of stuff, blue team, you want to get just question and answer, uh, certifications, and, uh, don't sell yourself short you know don't don't just go for the security plus and and be done with it go for the gold you know don't just go get the low level search because you feel like that's the only thing you can do study go after the big one go get that big one first if you want to go get a cissp first go get the oscp first you know it's all about what you're willing to put into it and how much return you want out of it It takes a lot of dedication a lot of time behind the computer lot of research a lot of everything it's a lot of effort but if you're willing to do that you can get these big certs right off the bat rather than waiting to you know get a security plus and then work your way up from there so there's a lot of different ways to to do it and there's really no wrong way to do it but hopefully i've outlined a few ways that uh, can help some folks out there my journey was started in it and i did that for almost 10 years and then switched over to cybersecurity. i've been doing that for about another 10 years so I got to see both sides of it, so it makes it really, really nice when I'm trying to explain cybersecurity and trying to get the infrastructure teams to implement new controls. I know exactly what we can implement because I know it works because I've done it before. So, anyway, I hope that helps anybody out there trying to break into InfoSec. Don't sell yourself short. Go for the glory. All right, so some other cryptocurrency-related news. And we've seen this one coming, but uh, BitTorrent... So BitTorrent issued their own token a while back. Well, now they are doing a blockchain based streaming platform. So it looks like they're going to offer channels like TV channels through this blockchain based streaming platform. I've seen this with one other company, I don't remember who it was, and they weren't able to really get it off the ground. But maybe with the backing of BitTorrent, they can get this thing going and get it off the ground. What's interesting is getting people to buy into it. I mean, it's still just a TV streaming service, right? People aren't really going to care that it's on the blockchain unless they can earn some sort of rewards for watching. Yeah, that would, that would be certainly really, really cool if they could do that. So more to come on that as that gets released. Some other crypto related news. Telegram is supposedly releasing its own cryptocurrency. They're going to call it Gram. And supposedly this is coming this October. So they're trying to get ahead of Facebook Libra apparently and they're going to issue their own called Gram. So Telegram's jumping into that game as well. So that will be interesting once that comes out. Facebook still can't get theirs off the ground. They still can't get any regulators to even allow them to launch this thing. Yet somehow Telegram I don't know. I don't know how Telegram's getting around all that, but they say they're launching in October. So, interesting stuff there. Obviously, Facebook has a lot more reach than Telegram does, but still, it's it's pretty much the same concept, minus the fact that you know Telegram probably has half the users that Facebook does. So, anyway, I thought that was rather interesting to see them going after Libra. But Libra has been halted and halted and halted over and over and over, but they're trying. They're really, their test net is up and some kind of cool stuff. If you uh, are into blockchain hacking, you can actually uh, go out to Libra's bug bounty page. Uh, You can actually go to hackerone.com slash Libra and they've got a bug bounty page for Libra and you can report bugs and insecurity stuff and all kinds of good stuff on there. So, and you can make up to 10,000 bucks if you find a critical flaw. So their their payouts go 500, 1500, 5,000 and 10,000. So, check that out if you'd like to be a part of their bug bounty program. That could certainly earn you some good bucks if you find something. But their testnet is what you'd be testing on. So, it is up and running and alive and well. So, if you're just curious about Libra as well, you could certainly go through this process of of setting up a system on the test net just to tinker around with it if you'd like. But I still wonder is it actually going to get released? I just, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know how they're going to get it past all the regulators and if the regulators will actually let it happen. So we'll see what happens with Telegram too. They say they're launching in October, but we'll. We'll really see what happens there once we get closer to that. All right. As far as the crypto prices today, we're looking at uh, 9500 for Bitcoin. It is way down. Ethereum's at 169 Ouch. Ripple's at $0. $0.25. Man, talk about way, way, way down from where we were. And as I said last podcast that bear cross was, was showing up in the, in the trading charts and that means it was going to go down. So hopefully this is the. The basement of where we're going to get to and from here it goes back up. Uh, I haven't seen any of the traders today saying anything about that yet. Uh, some are even still speculating it could go down to $9,000. So we will hang on and see how this thing progresses. But that bear cross, man. Hopefully we'll see a bull cross shortly thereafter, right? That would be awesome. Let's get it back to where it was. Alright folks, that's all I got for today. If you want to follow me on Twitter I'm at Cyber Crypto guy at CyberCryptoGuy guy on twitter check me out on there i retweet a bunch of the stuff that we talk about here on this show thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon